0: we all have pain the question is where are we taking our pain this is the ansons podcast it's november 17th and we are in part two of the storms and shelter series it was originally recorded in 2018 and blaine and sam want to help you not waste your pain One of the lenses I want to suggest would be to consider the gospel through the lens of initiation. We feel responsible to have a kind of 30-minute conversation that ends with the sitcom making sense. Uh, no.
1: Sometimes the vision can
0: cause you to stop. The vision doesn't drive you. The vision can actually constrain you. You just think, well, gosh, that's way bigger than I am. That's way bigger than my skills. If your spiritual life does not have a regular dose of adventure to it, it's not going to sustain the masculine soul.
1: Howdy, guys. We are in this week with a topic sort of pressing on us. And that's the reality that the last couple weeks have kind of been... Years. Why? Lifetime. It makes it sad if you stand No, I mean... Okay, so there's always a little difficulty, but if I were to like frame periods, it's like kind of, if it comes in waves, I would say that there was a wave of difficulties hmm. in the past couple of weeks. Yeah. And normally when people say that, they're like, you know, I'm not doing, I'm doing okay. Like, you know, nobody died, whatever. And being like, wow, you don't need that for a week to be hard. But these last few weeks have been like, they've been hard weeks. And so today's podcast is pain. And what do you do? And just some current stories between Sam and I in the last few weeks, and then reflecting on it can be from anywhere this year. What's some of the bomb? What are some of the things you employ uh, in response to the pain that comes from living in a world that is in fact still on the near side of the restoration of all things and all that that entails?
0: Yeah, it's a good conversation because I think there's a part of me that just wants to say, let's not focus on that. Let's focus on just the helpful things. It's like, let's just keep on keeping on. And at the same time, I know that in my own life and in people's stories, the, the, the painful things are the things that bind us because it's a shared experience on some level. I think about an arc of a story and you don't Oh, what protagonists have you read, watched or listened to that has not suffered. Were that it were as clear and as short lived as some of the movie scenes that we see and love, you know, I, I think this is your quote from the the spirituality podcast we did. But like, if these moments were as clear as like charging an orc with a sword, be awesome. It would be make or break. It would be over.
1: Ray gets tortured by Kylo Ren, but it's for like two minutes. Yeah, and then she's back to saving the galaxy. So right. well, she has some existential angst in there. I just riddled with doubt. But you know, the key moments of suffering seem to be pretty localized.
0: Yeah. So in the day to day, there do there are there are seasons, there are ebbs and flows in I think a healthy life. But this has been a couple of weeks where I think we're coming in today to work and looking around going, okay, what where where are my crutches? Where am I, where are my things that are gonna help me get through the day?
1: Yeah. And that's sort of the funny thing is when sort of in conversation realize this should be a podcast. We should talk about pain. The first thing that I realized is I just do a really bad job. Like, I don't have a toolkit that's sort of strapped to my belt that's like, oh, you're going through a problem? Well, deploy this thing. I'm like, yeah, pretty much everything goes out the window. What I sort of do is just basic survival strategies. Like, if things are sort of melting down relationally, I'll, like, do what I need to do to get through the conversation of stay engaged, keep making eye contact, don't interject. you say elk contact? Eye contact eye contact. (laughs) You're you're having a Freudian slip there, Blaine. elk contact.
0: I I just keep thinking about the woods in a conversation. And I just
1: leave and then I go to the woods. (laughs) Wendell Berry style. (laughs) Where are you right now? The piece of wild things. Bow
0: hunting in the Rockies.
1: But it really, I think for most people, boils down to what are the things that you do? What are the things that you employ just to kind of survive? And the problem with that for me is I then come away, let's just say from like the loss of a person or let's say from a week where relationship was difficult or something of that kind. And even though I sort of had the tools to get through it, like I sort of defaulted on showing up and it turned out to be enough, there's still the harm that's done in these, you know, really trying seasons. And it's that that actually needs sort of a more significant, you know, what do you do in order to address or in order to walk out of whether it's a really hard weekend with your family or whether it's a month long period where you're actually have a friend in and out of the hospital. Those things have an effect. And stepping into restoration should look like something.
0: Right. I find that I'm I'm like a crisis mitigator type person. Yeah, I think that's probably true for all of us on some level. but. I think about it, my house and like when things are not well, and I mean, literally like the dishes and my daughter's toys are all over the place. It's easy for me to be like, okay, I'm going to like put that off until it's unbearable and then I will go do those things or see if Susie will have done them for me and the deeper projects, the ones that will take like more effort. They just sit there. They're, my neighbor <laughs> had some tree trimmers come by. This is a true story that I'm not just making up nice little anecdotal stories. And he, he's, he knows that we have fires in the backyard sometime. I mean, the last time I had was a year and a half ago, but in his mind, I still have these fires in the backyard on these late nights without children. Um, and so he kindly had these tree trimmers leave some of the better slices of wood um, kind of stacked by my side gate. They sat there for like a month and a half because it wasn't pressing, because I had dishes to do, because I had other pains than like, proactively managing the side of the house. So the other day, I finally like, I still have wood chips in my hoodie that I'm wearing right now. I stacked them, but I had to I had to sweep to the side leaves that fell in November that I haven't dealt with in the side of my house. in order to stack the wood. And it was just this reminder of, oh boy.
1: I think that that's like obvious point number one. And in fact, the overlooked thing is that some level or some intentional engagement is the first important thing. We are body, soul and spirit. You know, we are beings with a body and a spirit which if you're watchman Nee and other theologians you think the interaction between the two is managed through the soul. Anyway, you have is watchman Nee a listener in our podcast? Negative, he is I think he's actually
0: dead. I should look that up. <laughs> <laughs> We're leaving this in by the way.
1: Watchman. Me? I mean, the point is the same. Yeah, no. He, he died in the 70s, like I thought. Um, But the thing is going like, okay, so you have been through something. What are you going to do for your body? And what are you going to do for your soul? And what are you going to do for your spirit, sort of the core of your life with God? that is going to redress the harm that you have experienced. Like, I remember these categories opening up for Luke when he and his wife finally saw a homeopath to get some help with some sleep issues they were having and some anxiety. And she just pointed out, wow, you guys live with a lot of stress. You don't do anything to manage your stress. You just live a stressed life. And then she gave them some super basic strategies for managing stress. And it simply doing something was so helpful where it was like, you guys need, you know, low level play, a little movement in the fresh air. And so they just took up the ritual of throwing a baseball outside their apartment at the park. Like that helped. And then when they were experiencing stress, she just gave them some basic like, hey, if you just do a basic breathing regime, like a five second breath in, a five second breath out, and you do it two or three times, you actually increase the oxytocin levels in your brain. You actually sort of Lift some of the negative elements of stress and you will be doing something on behalf of your body. So stage one, do something for these three arenas. Yeah, the potty
0: one is always a tricky one because it's the one we also medicate the most. I have run on stimulants all day. I have used coffee and then a cigar and now a depressant. I'm enjoying my good old IPA right now. And that's uh, easy to, to try and numb some of the things that we experience through the body that are actually heart or mind or soul or spirit or one of the other categories. And yet it's easiest, the easiest door is often through the body. I was having a conversation with someone recently who uh, has been diagnosed with depression, is taking medication for it. And some of my advice to them, having walked through that myself, when I was a sophomore in college, I was on antidepressants for, Uh, like two years, I think in there. But the advice I was given at the time that has proven super helpful was that like taking slowly, but it's meant to be kind of rungs on the ladder. You're not supposed to just like maintain this new reality. You're meant to be using these things to pull yourself up out and medication does work and is a rung, but it's not the whole ladder. And the idea was that to begin having these ways to help on a physical level and a mental level and a a spiritual level are so, so important. And so for this person taking medication was a great first step. But then getting outside becomes your antidepressant, eventually, the way you eat, the things you put into your body, and then the things that you put into your mind and your heart, like those are, those are massively important. So I know you were mentioning to me earlier, what you read during two weeks that were particularly draining was as important to you as taking Tamiflu?
1: Yeah, I think this is the key thing is after you have, you know, relief is fine, but relief is not treatment. And what you were just naming was so important of, you know, sort of progressing and addressing the body in a way that is bringing restoration to your whole being. It's key going from antidepressants to walking, to running, to being someone who actually pays attention to the food consequences on their body, what they eat. I think sort of the next level for me has totally been into that soul and spirit territory is really just the reality that pain affects my relationship with God. I don't know anyone for whom this is not true, but it introduces all kinds of irritation and questions and relational anger. And so getting some input that actually helps provide an interpretive key for what's happening was actually massively important. So I turned to a couple things that were really helpful, one of which was uh, the chapter on the love of God from the problem of pain. C.S. Lewis's book on pain. H- highly recommend it.
0: I wonder why you went to that particular. That's right,
1: surprising. But he points out sort of the separation between two things, which he labels as love and kindness, because he's just talking about like, if we are relating with this loving God, but we're suffering, what do we do about that? And one thing that he points out is, you know, a person who is kind is ultimately disinterested in the ultimate welfare of the subject of its kindness. And he just kind of points out, he uses the example of sort of like the benevolent old man who doesn't care what career path you pick so long as you're happy. You know, he has no horse in the race. He just likes young people to be enjoying themselves. And one of the problems with that and what, why that's so important is that it's absolutely endemic in our moment. We live in an age and we are affected by an age where sort of the best thing we can do relationally is hope that people will be happy. The quality of the happiness does not matter. I can remember like moments of personal cowardice here around like college. I remember there was one friend who was obviously medicating with alcohol. I could see it in his life. And even though I loved to go out on the weekend for a beer with friends, there was like something there and he asked me about it. And he was like, hey, you know, most nights now, I actually have a couple fingers of whiskey before bed. And he was aware of the risks and was like, do you think something's developing? And I totally defaulted into the region of sort of disultimately disinterested kindness when I was like, you know what, man, like, if it works, I think you're okay. And we see this all over the place. We draw the lines that like, if you are happy because you're human trafficking, you should probably stop. If you're a really happy <laughs> drug dealer, we'll be like, Jeez. no, that's not an okay way to pursue happiness. But basically across the field. As long as you're not hurting someone else. Right. Just sort of do whatever. And hmm. Lewis points out that can be kind, but love is interested in what happens and the perfection of the subject in it, realizing its full potential. And that's what we have, you know, like we make movies about the sports coach who is so aggressive to his players and is like inflicting incredible pain on them because he sees that they could be a phenomenal team and is interested in them realizing that destiny, that person we see is actually way more loving and why this became helpful is like Lewis gives like these sort of he talks about the analogies that are used to frame our relationship with God. And he's like, you know, if you look at them, we've got artwork, animals, as in we're sheep; he's a shepherd. We have, we're the sons in a classical sense of God, in a social sense. And then we have like being the bride. And he just looks at each one and goes, hey, in every case, the being that is representing God in the analogy, whether... The artist or the shepherd or the father has a vision for the final outcome of the being and is actively pushing for it. And he just has this, I'll just read this one section because he's talking about the artwork and he writes, over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even though it is not exactly as he meant it to be but over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves, though in a different fashion, as intensely as a man loves a woman or a mother does a child, he will take endless trouble and would, doubtless, thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. One can imagine a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch whose making was over in a minute. In the same way, It is natural for us to wish that God had designed for us a less glorious and less arduous destiny, but then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. I think what this started to simply introduce was being like, wow, right now, Jesus, let's just take the flu recently. I've been like, I really, really would love you to change this circumstance. I know that you heal. We have seen you do it. Why are you not healing me in this, but that. I think actually going, even this gets to be included, even my ability to endure something like this is included in this destiny that most of the time, I really just want God to sort of leave me alone. Be like, why are you doing anything that's hard to me? I don't like the discomfort, like go find somebody else. But he tends to be like, no, actually your destiny is important to me. And so we're going to keep working here. We're going to Leave the circumstance, which is like totally afflicting your unbelief because you are designed for something that is actually fairly remarkable.
0: Well, 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 that's good. I'm struck by the phrase. I honestly, I hate like, I mean, is this Dan again? Is this don't waste your pain? I don't know if you guys have heard about this guy, but his name is Dr. Dan Allender. And um, oh, he sounds familiar. when we don't have him on, we quote him. So That's good. He's he's like the third host. But there's there's this phrase that he has somewhere that popped up in my life, and my life with Susie years ago, which is, don't waste your pain. In this particular story, we had just moved to Minnesota. Susie had started her grad program. And the pressure of finally being in this program that was highly competitive, fast-paced, and my wife's internal drive to be excellent and to perform were a perfect storm to invoke anxiety and some sleepless nights. And our really human reaction in the midst of that was to just want it to be over, to want her to sleep again, to want life to go back to the way it was, where nothing was provoking anxiety. We wanted her to be in the program. We just didn't want it to be hard. And in some of the conversations around that, this saying came up of like, don't waste your pain. Because what's implied in it is that there's an opportunity in that to learn and to grow and to become someone who's able to both handle this sort of situation again and grow in ways that you have not yet. It's super normal for me, like when something's wrong, to be like, Ugh, okay, my radiator broke. I bought a used car. The radiator broke. Literally within the first week of having it. And my immediate reaction was to get a toad and have somebody else deal with it. I was like totally willing to fork over the money until I saw how much money it was and I realized I didn't have it. And so it became this, well, now I got to do it myself and stepping into it, stepping into fixing the radiator, stepping into why Susie was having this anxiety proved to be difficult and not our gut reaction. The gut reaction is to go to someplace more comfortable to stop the uncomfort or the pain. And yet at the fruit of it was so much more rich because now we got to like understand more of her story, understand ways that she was experiencing worth. And that is like phenomenal. That's a phenomenal opportunity for that. And for me, for me with the car, like it was this shifting from like, I can't handle anything to, oh, actually fixing a radiator is pretty straightforward. Well, maybe not fixing the part itself, but replacing it is pretty straightforward. Thank you, youthful of Legos it was just, I think the, the reaction is, is so normal to to shy away from it. The invitation is to step into it because there's, there's a lot to be gained there. And there's a lot to be understood about the way that you handle your heart, handle places that we don't like about ourselves. It can be super revealing. And in the world of becoming young parents, this is one that Susie has been bringing to me is that She's begun in moments of frustration or lack of patience to ask God in those moments to be working on those places that don't have patience. I wished that I had thought of that idea myself because I was experiencing the same amount of impatience. And yet there was, you know, again, this moment of something's not going the way I want it to. I mean, it's almost like we're having the initiation conversation again. I mean, in a way we are, except in the category and the lens of
1: pain when it
0: happens. Where do you go?
1: I mean, it's so huge because I really do think that, you know, there's, there's sort of the two layers to the conversation. And the one is in sort of the realm of our conversation with Dan on responding to trauma of in the moments, what do you do? What, you know, when you get a hard phone call or you're in a season where things are not going well, and that's sort of the, well, what are the ways that you actively care for your body, soul, and spirit? What are the ways that you mitigate stress? Do you do breathing exercises? Do you play catch with a friend? Are you a runner? And then what are the ways that you actually keep your soul alive? And it's like, well, I don't know, grab bag out of the spiritual disciplines. Like, get solitude in the wilderness. Go engage beauty. Turn on worship and just listen to it. Lie on the ground and listen for 40 minutes.
0: It feels easy to start with these... Surface level ones, right? Because they're the ones that I experience right away. It's the impatience with my daughter. It's my busted radiator. But the ones that are longer, right? Like the dissatisfaction with your work or a level of stress that you're living with. Like your example with Luke and his wife. Those those are like a pain slash discomfort that almost feels silly to slap playing catch as a balm for, but it works.
1: Well, it helps keep yourself alive during it. And then we have this deeper layer of actually God is accessing things. I mean, George MacDonald has a great unspoken sermon. So it's a written sermon, but it's still a sermon. And it's in his book, Unspoken Sermons, which he wrote after being kicked out of his church. But it's about what does it mean for God to be a consuming fire? And he just sort of jumps in to at first, how totally uncomfortable that is. He's like, so basically, the closer you are bonded to the things that cannot survive your eternal destiny, the more intolerable the consuming fire of God will be because it is designed, the love of God is designed to separate you from your false self. And if you're caught up in it, it's going to be a very painful process. And they often are long and painful processes. Like I think of friends who like lose job after job after job and it is like it stretches past one year into like two years and then all of a sudden it becomes like oh wow now we are past do you get 15 minutes with god in the morning do you go for a walk after work and we are way into the territory of how do you frame your destiny and how do you frame the love of god to help you make sense of what's happening to you i think that's where the piece of actually having a destiny that the love of that god in his love is utterly committed to developing in you becomes helpful. One other one from this weekend was more C.S. Lewis, but an essay of his really short piece called The Efficacy of Prayer. And it's, just a, it's a fascinating thing and he's addressing specifically like petitionary prayer. And he just goes, how do you think about the phenomenon that is that kind of prayer, which is like, Jesus, can I have this job? Would you please make it stop raining so that we can still have our soccer tournament? That, that kind of sort of category of asking for a change in circumstance. A lot of observations in there. But two that were so key for me is, one, that God does not do what he can possibly delegate. And that actually that those things that he's put in a person's arena, I just think of a great story of Craig McConnell sort of perennially afflicted with shame, had finished giving a talk and he came off the stage, accusation starts to come on and he's like, Jesus, would you, would you please intervene here, lift this accusation? And he just hears Jesus say, no, you do it. This is actually a part of your domain that I am entrusting to you and know you can handle. Like you engage with this. And so there are like conversations with my mother-in-law that I'm like, oh, Jesus, would you sort out that situation. So Make that, her
0: a hairdresser have this conversation. Yeah,
1: so like just bring someone from their chur- her church along to talk to you about prayer and just him being like very much like, no, that's, that's actually in front of you and even having the strength of heart to like endure an illness. Jesus, the respect of God to be like, no, you, you have been entrusted uh, with the ability to walk with me through this. You don't need some supernatural boost right now. You can actually just do it. Totally.
0: So during the season I mentioned earlier about Susie in nursing school, I found this desktop background for my computer that had a quote on it that I liked. And I'm not usually one for motivational quotes and all that. But the quote was, smooth seas do not make a skillful sailor. And there was something to that that seemed to echo the idea from a book I had recently read at the time that I've recommended ad nauseum sense, which is Viktor Frankl's man's search for meaning. And I referenced this at the boot camp last week, and I'll reference this again right now because it applies. The ability to see things in their context was one of his massive ideas, his defining points on how we see meaning and how we experience suffering is if we're able to place them at a point in our growth, in our stories as not the be all end all, as not the, oh, this is my life now. And my life is always going to be car problems. My life is always going to be flu or my life is always going to be small difficulties. But if they are moments where we get to respond and our response matters, that's kind of where we're going with this is what is working these days.
1: Yes. It's just, it's the thing that blows my mind, which is the, the sort of handing over of the reins to rule in a circumstance. Reading that St. Louis essay, The Efficacy of Prayer, And he just makes this point, which sort of pierced me, and he just talks about refused prayers. And he just says, as you grow in your Christian life, you will find the refusals are not only more frequent, they are more unmistakable and more emphatic. And what he just is calling attention to is the perceived reality where it's like, Actually, God will not change the circumstance on purpose, especially in the mature person to pierce the lingering deep places in them where they feel unable to walk it out or where they actually don't believe that God is going to come through for them. Like he will do that and he will make the refusal so sort of bold that not only do you feel like, wow, God, do you even hear me? You're like, no, you hear me and I see you not answering here so that I can actually have the greater good, which is the restoration of my heart. And he just concludes that point with this, and he concludes the essay with this very troubling line, which is, if we were stronger, we might be less tenderly treated. If we were braver, we might be sent with far less help to defend far more desperate posts in the great battle.
0: Makes me want to be stronger and braver and less like a, (laughs)
1: I'm uncomfortable. What it made me think of is like when I watch superhero movies and there's sort of, you know, the trope of the reluctant hero of like, oh man, I'm Spider-Man now, but I don't know that I really want to help people. And I'm like, you're Spider-Man, that's awesome. Like, I would not feel that way. I would put on my leotard and I would get out there and (laughs) swing around. The four skyscrapers of Colorado Springs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just, just in a big figure eight. Anybody big in the birds
0: that is the purgatory of Colorado Springs is on their own.
1: <laughs> but just being like, actually, that reluctance is not only accurate, it's understated. When I actually consider that Jesus actually envisions the ability to complete great acts, to have a real role in the advancing of his kingdom, to rule with him. That's way more significant than web-slingers, guys. I'm serious. But I feel way more like, just forget it, man. Like, I would just would rather have ease. Leave me alone. But in fact, God is like, no, you have this and you're going to keep being confronted with it through your pain until you begin to respond with the transformation of your heart in a way that allows you to rise to it.
0: So other than reading very thoughtful and well-written things, what has been working for you? <laughs> pain these days what do you do what do you practically what have you been doing on a practical level not on a mental level not on a i understand these things to be true but on a rubber meets the road level
1: yeah i think like on an, on an i'll just do like an, one unhealthy one is the first one i thought of and then like juxtapose it with one that actually provides some real help unhealthy one is like i love making lists about how things can be different and strategy documents on how I'm going to implement the lifestyle and the relational whatevers that are gonna make my life the utopia I imagine for myself. Hmm. And so it's just like, basically the first thing I do- i Am familiar with this side of you, Blenit? I haven't met uh, him- No, not at all. Every morning. (laughs) Every morning, about 8.30. (laughs) But of like, what can I do to eliminate stressors as fast as I possibly can, which actually doesn't do anything for my life with God? But I was telling a friend recently, and it's so funny. Even when I hear myself say this, it sounds sort of fake, but it's true. Or I'm just—I was just like, you know, right now, sort of like only worship helps. And I'm the most reluctant person. When Emily is like, "You should go. You should go to the gathering this Sunday morning so that you can worship with everybody," and I'm like, I would rather feed my flesh in some way by like going to get a latte and. You mean go on Sunday and be irritated with everybody or go have some alone time? Exactly. I'm like, oh, you want me to participate in the church and not just go like do something that isn't going to help me, but is going to feel nice. Um, like, you know, ride my bike through Red Rocks or something, which is a fine thing to do. But when I do go and I'm confronted with this act of simply announcing who God is, all of a sudden I find my heart opening up. And it's so funny because I never think it's going to happen. And almost every time, like by song number three, I'm like, wow. Parts of me that I was not aware of are responding to this and they are the parts that most needed to engage. So there's there's one. Actually finding ways to just engage worship. What about you, man? Our pain whiz over there.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of the polls for me is to isolate, withdraw. It feels like being alone is the answer because when I'm alone, nobody can ask things of me and need things of me. And being alone is also a very dangerous place because you can not have people correct your incorrect thinking. But I spent the last three days at home. We're kind of allotted that after an event away. And it was just, it was actually really good just to be present and to not have in the back of my mind, like this tit for tat scale going, like the if I'm with you guys for this many hours, then I get to go, you know, be alone for this many minutes. But just to be with my family and kind of let the days happen, let the flows, the appointments, the quick last minute jaunt over to the zoo. I am someone who likes plans and likes to know what's coming. And so, kind of last minute free flowing things can drive me crazy. But I found that it was really good just to let go of a need for what would feel like the, okay, Sam, what Sam really needs is he needs to just kind of slip away and he needs to go play some Star Wars Battlefront two and not think about the world for a bit, but instead be like, no, I'm going to sit on the floor and that floor is covered with singing puzzle pieces and baby toys. And then we realize that we have got an appointment we got to go to. And then after that, we're going to zip over to the zoo which would normally totally stress me out to have so many things kind of happen last minute and not have control over them. And yet to not be holding them as like something I get to bring back, but to be like, no, this is exactly where I want to be. I had a conversation with Morgan a while ago that I found particularly disruptive where he was talking about how he wants to give his family his best. Work doesn't get his best. Uh, his career, uh, some, his even his alone time doesn't get his best. He wants his family to get him at 100% rather than dragging in at the end of the day, exhausted, and just kind of trying to make those next four to six hours of wakefulness happen, and then go back to work. I find that super convicting because it was. it's something that I can get home at the end of the day of work and be like, all right, let me just sit on the couch. Let me just make my body rest and feel nice. And instead, to be like, no, actually, work is the thing that I do to have time with my family. Thankfully, I get really meaningful work, and I get to do this, and I can feel myself wanting to just go on autopilot, go coast. You can probably even hear it in my voice today—the kind of subdued nature to it—and instead to like choose to be present and choose to be okay with whatever's happening, whether that's you know going and stacking wood for twenty minutes or having absolutely no control over my schedule and my time. Like that's that can be okay, and that actually is a is a heart shift to be present and to be blessing what's around me and I don't use that term in like the hashtag blessed or the Christianese it's just a a blessing it's just I just feel so blessed these days because I want to punch that person you do not feel that way you are just putting on a show but in a genuine like saying I am not only okay with this I am behind it and I'm going to be present to it
1: it's such a good point because for me it looks as simple as like yeah checking out won't help it will make things worse and it like looks like the solution of like maybe i'll just default on some of like the communal things i have going on but actually continue to go like "No, no 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 i i know that checking out is actually only going to sort of double down on the pain of this season and instead by entering it in to like life community people provides a context where some of the consequences of pain get to be worked out and that it really does take being ready to bring your heart to where you are. As simple as that is, it's actually a game changer.
0: The problem of pain, the problem of, even in the way that we've been using it in this particular podcast, which is almost like discomfort or life not going smoothly, is something that I think can really invoke that, do I just want to shy away from it? Yes, because you're a human being and that's what your body wants to do. But more than that, what are you going to do in the midst of it? Because you can't always make it go away. What are the ways you're going to take care of yourself? And what are the ways that are you not going to waste it? Because fortunately, unfortunately, God is after some things. And if you kind of don't deal with the things that get raised, I think they are going to keep
1: being raised.